your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 37. We'll be spending our, our evening in Psalm 37. One of, the, uh, one of the challenges of preaching to the Psalms is there's so many wonderful Psalms to, to investigate and to study. And so as, we was, as I was looking through um, the Psalms, I was partly because I know my personality and my nature, I was avoiding the longer Psalms just because there's so much in there and it's so hard to get through it. But Psalm chapter 37 is one of those longer Psalms that I've been avoiding. It's 40 verses long. And I had worked this week to try to take those 40 verses and divide them into four sections. And my thought was four sections, 25 minutes, I could spend seven or eight minutes on a section. And then as I got into it, I realized there's no way that's going to happen. And so I actually, honestly, this afternoon, I took two-thirds of my sermon and dumped it. And we're just going to go eight verses tonight. Hopefully we'll get through eight verses tonight. But we'll be in Psalm chapter 37, verses 1 to 8. My goal is that we could, we could dive into these, this passage, get to know it better and well, uh, and I won't be frustrated with, the, with what's left behind that we didn't get to, and you won't be frustrated trying to keep up with my talking. So Psalm chapter 37, we're going to sit down and, and tap into the wisdom of David. I love the Psalms because as you read the Psalms, you almost can get the impression, you almost... I have a vivid imagination, and sometimes I picture myself sitting at grassroots, sipping a cup of coffee, sitting across the table from, from King David, and just learning from the wisdom and the integrity of this man. And so Psalm 37 is much like that. He's giving insight or, or wisdom into the life of those reading the psalm, those to whom the psalm is directed. Psalm chapter 37, we're going to read uh, the first eight verses, and then we'll, we'll dive into uh, the sermon, which we've entitled tonight, Trusting God in Trying Times. Read with me, Psalm chapter 37, verses 1 through 8. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herbs. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any way or any wise to do evil. David starts this recipe for trust with a command, and he actually repeats the command three times throughout the passage. Did you catch a word repeated multiple times in that passage? A word we don't use often today. Fret. Fret not. A command. Don't worry. Don't fret about what's going on in the lives of evildoers. The, verse 1, the first half of verse 1, Psalm 37, 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers. What does it mean to fret. So this is, this is um, it's an interesting command. It's repeated multiple times. So it's one of those commands you really should dive into, try to figure out what it is. This is, a, this is a recipe toward trust, but fret becomes an obstacle to trust. And so let's figure out what it means to fret. So the Hebrew word for fret, all, all three times it's translated in Psalm chapter 37, is a word that means to, uh, to generate heat, to become hot, to kindle, to, to become agitated. And the idea is the, that idea of producing a fire through friction, right? So we've all seen those survival shows where they're sent out into the middle of the wilderness and they have to, to, to live in the middle of the wilderness with no 
uh, supplies. And so what they all try to do at the beginning is to generate, to start a fire. And we've seen it, right? They take a stick and they begin to, to, to spin that stick rapidly against another piece of wood. And, and by the use of friction, they create heat, which creates a hem, ember, which creates a fire. That's the picture that David's giving in this instruction. He says, don't allow yourself to become agitated. Don't let yourself get heated up over the actions of the evildoer. If there was ever a message that was meant for Christians in the 21st century, actually for culture in the 21st century, it's this idea, right? Don't allow yourself to become agitated. I think our, our, our society has devolved itself into a situation where we, all we are is just a bunch of groups that are looking at other groups and allowing ourselves to become irritated and agitated by what those groups do, right? We see it, all I have to do is say the word politics and all of our heart rates go up, right? Like we, we, that agitation begins to generate and foster in our lives. And David is saying, don't allow yourself to be worked up over the works of the evildoer. Um, you know, we see this in our society. The sad thing is we see, not, not only do we see that agitation or that irritation taking place in culture, we see it taking place in church, right? We, as we, as we live our lives, are becoming so focused on what's going on around us rather than what's going on through us and in us. We become so focused on what's going on around us that we allow actions and activities taken by other believers to generate, to kindle heat, to, to generate anger in our life. And David gives the instruction, don't allow yourself to focus on those around you and allow their actions to generate heat in our life. And here's why it becomes an obstacle to trust. David says when we, when we, when we focus on what others are doing rather than what God is doing, our eyes are taken off of our Savior and put onto our culture. And if, we, if Satan knows that we can be distracted from the work of God by what's going on around us, he is going to introduce more and more adjutants into our life. And I have bad news for you. Paul promises that the, the bad, the evil going on around us is only going to get worse. There's not a stop to the evil that's going on around us. If you look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writing to, to Timothy. Timothy's serving, um, he's serving as a pastor, and Paul gives him this encouraging news. But evil men, he says, and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the evil activity going on around us is not going to get any less evil. What's going on around us is not going to get better. And if we allow the actions of, e of those around us to distract ourselves from the, what God's called us to do and to be, then we're going to find more and more distraction in the world around us. David says the first recipe, the first, the first, pro, the first obstacle to us living a life of trust that we're going to get to in verse 3, that life that we're called to, trusting God, the first obstacle is when we allow ourselves to become worked up or agitated by the work of evil men. Look at the second half of verse 1. Here's the second ingredient, the second obstacle, I guess, to, to, um, to, to finding ourselves resting in God. Psalm chapter 37, verse 1, it says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. What is, what is David worrying about? What is David uh, uh, warning about? So, so you read this challenge. Don't be envious of evildoers. And as I, was as I read that the first time this, uh, this, this week, as I was kind of contemplating what that meant, it kind of, it, 
I related to the first one. I, I can get irritated and agitated by evil going on around me. I connected to that first challenge. But the second challenge, it didn't, it didn't connect quite as quickly. When am I envious of evildoers? Well, we see in David's life that he's speaking out of the voice of experience here. If you look in Psalm chapter 73 and verse 3, he says this. He says, For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So David is giving this warning from a place of experience. He says, look, I've been here before. I found myself envious of the evildoer. Well, how do we find ourselves in that position? How do we find ourselves as Christ followers envious of the workers of iniquity? How do I come to the point in my life that I look around and I see someone who, is, who has chosen a different path, who has decided to follow his own way, and I look at him and say, that's what I want. How do I get to that point? This is not, as I was trying to make connections between these two, starting with the first command, don't allow yourself to be agitated by the evil workers, I kind of saw a, a, a connection point. And this is kind of where I, in my life, I can see myself getting to this point. As I become, as I become aware of what evildoers are doing around me, and we're, and we're look, I, we're called to be wise as serpents. We're called to be wise within our interaction with the world. So we should be aware of what's going on around us. But when we allow that to become the focus of our life and our eyes become focused on what's going on around me, as I find myself fretting over the evildoers, I take my eyes off of Christ and I put them on the world around me. And as I begin to focus on the world around me, it becomes easier and easier to find circumstances or situations where I feel like there's not fairness in God's economy. Have you ever been in that situation? You see, you, 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 well, you're going through life and there's someone in your profession or there's someone in, in society around you and you say, God, something's not fair. I know them, they're not good people. And yet they're driving a nicer car or they have a nicer house or they have a better title or they have a, a, a more healthy family or they're not struggling with sickness in their life. We see this, what we, what we see is a lack of fairness in God's economy, and we begin to become envious of what God is allowing in their life versus what's going on in my life. As I take my eyes off of Christ and focus on the evildoers around me, I begin to build out this, 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 this sense of equity, and I say, God, what you're doing there is not right. And we're warned throughout Scripture that this is not the way we should live life. Actually, this morning in our study, uh, if you were in life groups this morning, we were looking at Sennacherib and, and the king of Assyria. And the, uh, the king of Assyria was, was, was experiencing success in his military conquests. He was a, a, a rising power in the, in the world, in the Middle East. He had, he had eliminate, eliminated threats from Egypt, and he'd worked his way into Israel and Judah. Uh, he was having military success. He had a large army. Um, in the eyes of those looking at that moment, that situation, it would be easy to say, wait a second, God, why are you blessing him and not me? Why is he experiencing more success than me? So as I begin to, as I begin to think about those realities, I begin to see where I could find myself envious of the evil. Well, how do I avoid being fretting over the actions of the evildoers. Now, how do I avoid becoming envious of the evildoers? We get that from Psalm 37, verse 2. So look with me. Psalm chapter 37, verse 2. Let me get there, and we'll read it together. Psalm chapter 37, verse 2. 
All right. It says, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass. They'll wither as the green herb. Let's, I'm going to put those, I'm going to put that together with verse one to make the context. For, it says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and they'll wither like the green herb. So what is the they in verse two referencing? What is it? The evildoers in verse one. David says, don't fret about the evildoers. Don't be envious of the evildoers because there's a reason our eyes shouldn't be focused on them because we have an eternal focus. Recognize the reality of their life. Evildoers are, uh, they're, they're prospering for a moment. They have a limited period of success. If we have truly been regenerated, are truly living a life that pursues Christ, remember this, this life this moment in life, where we are, this life that we're living now is the worst that it will ever get. Tears, pain, sickness, loss, all of those things that we experience that, that, um, that bring sadness and, and sorrow into our life, this is the worst it ever gets. As we die, we move into an eternity where tears are gone, pain is gone. We get to worship and fellowship with our Savior for eternity. This life is the worst that life gets. But... On the flip side, if we reject Christ and we die in that position, so if we live a life of rebellion, that evildoer that's described in verses one and two, if we live a life of the evildoer, we reject Christ and we die in that position, this life is the absolute best that you will ever have. As we live life with that reality, as we live life with that mentality, the eternal mentality, it changes our perspective. Paul understood this. Look with me in Romans chapter eight, verses 16 to 18. He's writing his epistle to the book of Rome, uh, to the church at Rome. And Paul, you remember the life he lived, the struggles he went through. He makes this statement. It says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, Romans chapter eight, verse 16, that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with them, that we may also be glorified together. Here's Paul's conclusion. So if verses 16 and 17 are true, if the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, it means that we're the children of God, joint heirs with Christ. So if 16 and 17 are true, here's the conclusion, 18. For I reckon, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So how do we avoid falling into that point of contention and envy with, uh, for the evildoers that are around us, for the success that they're experiencing, for the, the momentary success that we're experiencing. We live a life that's focused on eternity. We live a life that recognizes the reality of eternity, eternity and those truths of eternity. As I was studying this passage this week, I heard a pastor use an example, and it was somewhat of a a, a silly example, but it helps bring home this truth. The, the, the perspective of eternity changes our mindset. So imagine with me that you're sitting at home on a Saturday night. We enjoy on Saturday night. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. So uh, you, you, can, you can savor that, that image in your head. And on Saturday nights, I, I have gotten into the habit, I'll watch, I'll watch crime shows. And I don't know why we, actually, I do know why we do it. My wife knows all the people on crime shows. If I ever disappear, my wife has got connections. Ask her. She, she knows what's going on. Um, so we'll watch, the, we'll watch crime shows. And so find yourself at home on a Saturday night enjoying a Swanson dinner, which, which Gray has already put on the screen for us. Um, this is my favorite, Salisbury steak. I don't know if you've ever had Salisbury steak, Swanson's dinner. It's, it's processed 
meat at its finest, and I love it. So sitting at, sitting at home watching a, a, a documentary on some criminal, and you're eating your Swanson dinner. As you're eating, a story comes on about the life of Alan Lee Davis. Mr. Davis was a, was a criminal in Florida um, who was convicted um, of three counts of murder, landed him in, in, um, in the Florida prison system. Not a good man, and you know he's not a good man based on the testimony of his life and the conviction that he's, that he's the, the, the prison sentence he's serving based on his conviction. So as you're eating your meal of processed meat, this image flashes on the screen. And they describe a meal that Mr. Davis was served in prison. So Mr. Alan Davis, this, this man who has been convicted of murder three times, is sitting in prison. And in case you can't make out what's on the, what's on the meal, uh, the plate in front of you, let me, let me tell you what he has there. It's a meal that consists of a lobster tail, fried potatoes, a half pound of fried shrimp, six ounces of fried clams, a half a loaf of garlic bread, and to wash it all down, 32 ounces of cold A&W root beer. So again, just a reminder, you're eating this, and this flashes on the screen, and they describe it as the meal that Alan Davis is eating. So, let, so, so if all I'm focused is on the here and now, if all I'm focused is on what's going on in my life at this moment, and this is typically what happens, right? Satan will, Satan will highlight something going on in the life of an evil person at a point in time, and he leaves out all the context. He leaves out all the details. This is typically how it works. Satan is, Satan's goal is to get you to reject um, the, the, the entreaty of our shepherd to rest and trust in him. And so his goal, he'll pull out a moment in the life of someone who's evil and say, why is it that your God is not allowing this in your life? And it would be easy if all I'm focused on is the here and now to say, God, that's not fair. I'm eating Salisbury steak and he's got lobster tail and shrimp and oysters. How is that fair? How is that right? Here's how a eternal focus works. This was Mr. Davis's final meal. Mr. Davis, before he was executed, had the opportunity to order his final meal, and this is what he ordered. Mr. Davis had good taste. And, and, but None of us in our right mind would switch places with Mr. Davis to enjoy that meal if we knew the next step was the electric chair, which it was in the life of Mr. Davis. That is how an eternal focus, an eternal perspective changes our mindset as we look at what's going on around us. Here's the reality. You and I, every day, are in, are in the process of uh, expanding God's kingdom in, the, in a broken and fallen world. And so in that process, we find ourselves encountering uh, the resistance and the, and the attacks of Satan. And it's easy if we lose the eternal focus to say, God, I'm tired. This isn't fair. This isn't right. There are other people that are not doing anything for you that are, that are enjoying this life so much better. How is this right? How is this good? Keeping the eternal perspective changes our mindset and allows us to not fret over the actions of the evildoers and not engage in envy over the things that are going on in the lives of the evildoer. So, David has now laid out for us the obstacles to trusting in God. And so now he lays out a success. He calls us to what his ultimate purpose was, and that is trust in God. This is the command that we find throughout Scripture. If you read Scripture, if you read the Psalms and Proverbs, you'll see this throughout his writings. 
This is where David excelled. David had an, uh, an ability to trust and rest in his shepherd. Let's read together Psalm chapter 37 and verse 3. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. As I was reading Psalm uh, 37 verse 3, it took me back to two weeks ago in Psalm chapter 23. If you remember Psalm chapter 23 verse 1, you remember David's um, opening verse in that Psalm was, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not, I shall not want. Remember last week, or when we talked last time, we said the word Lord in your Bible was in all capital letters, and that refers to a name, a particular name of God, and he uses that same name in Psalm chapter 37, trust in the Lord, all capitals. Again, that's Yahweh. It's the all-sufficient God, the God who is what he needs to be. David says in Psalm 37, trust in that Lord. Recognize that he's all-sufficient. Trust in him. Trust is um, the word trust that's, that's translated here is an idea of complete rest. It's just, it's, it's having total confidence in our Lord. It's the same call we see in Psalm 27.1, the idea of a faithful, a faithful shepherd and the relationship he has with the sheep. So David gives us this instruction, trust in the Lord um, and you shall, and, and trust in the Lord and do good. Now here's, here's the, the end result of trusting in the Lord. It's that same concept. Remember we talked about the, the shepherd calling the sheep by name and they follow him in and out of pastures. Uh, they follow him wherever he calls them through the valley of the shadow of death. Trusting in the Lord, putting complete confidence in the Lord means living a life in, in submission to that shepherd and going where he goes. And as we do that, we saw this morning, there's a command to go, there's a command to do. And so our life will reflect good works because we are living a life of trust of the shepherd. So David calls us into a state of trust. And I'm gonna, I just wanna, I wanna highlight here, we're, we're, we're running out of time. And so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna highlight a progression and we'll get back to this the next time I preach. Um, I want you to see the progression as, Dave, as we follow David's prescription for trusting and ultimately resting in God. Look at the progression in the life of the believer that does not fret because of evildoers, that is not um, envious of evildoers. He trusts in the Lord. In verse three, he trusts. Verse four, that word delight. So it's the next step. After we trust, we find, we find that the character of God is good. And as we trust and live that out and we see the character of God is good, we find ourselves delighting in God. The word translated delight actually means to refresh yourself. It's, it's the idea of pampering yourself. It's almost like, and I've never been, but going to a spa, right? And having that full, women seem to enjoy that full uh, spa effect of whatever you do at a spa. I don't know what it is, but it's supposedly refreshing. That's the idea that David is projecting here. David says, trust in God. And as you trust in God, you'll find yourself refreshing in God. You'll find yourself in this, um, in the spirit of, of being pampered by the character and nature of the God that we're trusting. And so we have this progression, trust, and then delight. And then you find in verse five, the command to commit yourself unto the Lord. And this commit, commit is a total, um, total surrender. It's, it's the idea of fully engaging in the call of God. So, so I trust God. I take that first step and I find that the character of God is good. And as I begin to dwell in the character of God, I begin to get refreshed and I'm pampered and I become more and more enamored with the God that I'm serving. And as I become enamored with the God I'm serving, I totally Commit. It's the same idea that we have in marriage. So Lisa and I are coming up on year 20, 
what, what month is this? Year 24. So I know that next year, we're, yeah, so next year's 25. So don't let me forget that. If, we're, if, if, if I'm in this role next year, and y'all, y'all remind me, 25's coming up. Um, so we are coming up in year 24. There is a process that goes into the, the, the marriage relationship, right? You meet somebody, you're interested in them, and then you begin to get to know them more and more, and you become more enamored with them, and you find enjoyment and refreshment, and then you make the commitment of engagement and marriage, right? So it's a process, and it's the same process with our Savior. God calls us to trust him, and as we trust him, we find refreshment in him, and as we find that refreshment and we we say, I'm all in, God, I'm committed I'm fully engaged in the work of what you've called me to do. And then we have the reward. Look at verse, look at verse um, 7, the word rest. And this is interesting because the, the word translated commit in verse 5 is a work-heavy word. It's an idea of action. I'm committing, I'm engaged, I'm doing whatever God calls me to do. The, verse, uh, the word translated rest in verse 7 is a word that means almost devoid of works. It's the idea of total relaxation and rest. And so this is the idea of our reward eventually with, with God. This is, this is the recipe for trusting God through trying times. And, and so we're going to have to really dive into this next time we get together because there's just so much in, the, in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Um, so, so just as, as we wrap up tonight, just remember, avoid the temptation to fret. And fret is a natural response. It's worry. It's allowing my, my mind to go to places it shouldn't go based on, what's go on circumstances around me. And we all have that tendency. We all will find ourselves being agitated by what's going on around us. And look, the reality is it should not surprise us. We live in a broken and fallen world. And we know that because that's, that's why we ascribe to what we believe. We have a Savior who in his love and goodness and grace, like Pastor Sean talked about in our song service, gives us, offers us redemption and allows us to reconnect into relationship with him. And so we know we operate in a broken world. So it shouldn't surprise us that those who don't know our Savior live evil and broken lives. And so our job is not to be agitated by them, but to love our Savior and show our, project our Savior. And so don't allow yourself to fret over the work, the evil works that are going on around us, don't allow ourselves to become discontent with God as we look at what's going on in the lives of evil, evil people around us. Remember an eternal perspective. Know that judgment comes, and this life we're experiencing now is the worst we'll ever have it. For those that are evil, the life we're living now is the best they'll ever have it. And, and ultimately, that understanding will lead us to an ability to trust, and we'll grow from there. So we'll come back and pick up again in Psalm 37, the next time I preach, aren't you glad we didn't do 40 verses tonight because we would have been here till like nine o'clock. So I um, so appreciate, your, I appreciate your, uh, your attendance tonight. I appreciate the opportunity um, to, to speak with you and to talk with you. I enjoy the book. I'm enjoying the book of Psalms. I wasn't sure. Pastor suggested this study when we first started and I wasn't sure how it would go, but um, I'm realizing more and more um, there's so much meat, there's so much in the book of Psalms. And so um, looking forward to being back together again as, as time and schedule allows. Just a quick reminder, uh, again, uh, I know Pastor mentioned it briefly. Next Saturday is our uh, graduate recognition drop-in reception. Uh, we do have five graduates this year. Uh, Mason May, oh uh, boy, Sarah Cooper Lee, um, so Mason, uh, Turner Rayburg sitting back there in the back, Kaylee Pates, 
and Brandon. So Brandon Warren. So five graduates, and so um, I think all five, ex- uh, well, Mason can't be there next Saturday, but um, it's just an opportunity to come in and celebrate an event in their life, two o'clock to four o'clock. Uh, also, we will have our baby blessing table uh, one more week here in the back as a way to bless the Allens. Um, if you've not had a chance to meet Becca yet, she is a, uh, she's a sweetheart. She's been, in our, she's been one of our most active participants in our life group for the last several weeks, and so um, we've enjoyed getting to know her a little bit upstairs. Um, but uh, that's in the back, and they do have plenty of newborn and size one diapers. Um, so if you're looking for diapers, it can be size two and up. Um, but uh, just a, there's a bottle in the back. You can put money. If you want to do gift cards, you can put that in the basket, and you can just leave gifts on the table. It's been a good day. Um, thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for your heart of, of worship. Um, I, I do enjoy, it's neat to have guests here at our service. Uh, one of the consistent responses that we hear from guests as they leave our service is the spirit of worship. And that's not generated from the stage. That's not, that's not, that's not Pastor Sean generated. That's not